Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 66 of The Life of David Brainerd by Jonathan Edwards. He told me that it was impossible for anyone to conceive of the distress he felt in his breast. He manifested much concern lest he should dishonor God by impatience under his extreme agony, which was such that he said the thought of enduring it one moment longer was almost insupportable. He desired that others would be much in lifting up their hearts continually to God for him, that God would support him and give him patience. He signified that he expected to die that night, but seemed to fear a longer delay, and the disposition of his mind with regard to death appeared still the same that it had been all along. And notwithstanding his bodily agonies, yet the interest of Zion lay still with great weight on his mind, on that evening he had considerable discourse with the Reverend Mr. Billing, one of the neighboring ministers, concerning the great importance of the work of the ministry. Afterward, late in the night, he had much very proper and profitable discourse with his brother John concerning his congregation in New Jersey and the interest of religion among the Indians. In the latter part of the night, his bodily distress seemed to rise to a greater height than ever. Toward day, his eyes became fixed, and he continued lying immovable till about six o'clock on Friday, October 9, 1747, when his soul, as we may well conclude, was received by his dear Lord and Master, into that state of perfection of holiness and fruition of God, for which he had so often and so ardently longed, and was welcomed by the glorious assembly in the upper world as one peculiarly fitted to join them in their blessed employ and enjoyment. Much respect was shown to his memory at his funeral, which was on the Monday following, after a sermon preached on that solemn occasion. His funeral was attended by eight of the neighboring ministers and a great concourse of people. Chapter 10 Reflections on the Preceding Memoirs Reflection 1. In the life of Brainerd, we may see, as I apprehend the nature of true religion and the manner of its operation, when exemplified in a high degree and in powerful exercise, particularly it may be worth to be observed. Number 1. How greatly Brainerd's religion differed from that of some pretenders to the experience 
of a clear work of saving conversion wrought on their hearts, who, depending and living on that, settle in a cold, careless, and carnal frame of mind, and in a neglect of a thorough, earnest religion in the stated practice of it. Although his convictions and his conversion were in all respects exceedingly clear and very remarkable, yet how far was he from acting as though he thought he had got through his work when once he had obtained comfort and satisfaction of his interest in Christ and a title to heaven? On the contrary, that work on his heart by which he was brought to this was with him evidently but the beginning of his work, his first entering on the great business of religion and the service of God, his first settling out in his race. His work was not finished, nor his race ended, till life was ended. As his conversion was not the end of his work, or of the course of his diligence and strivings in religion, so neither was it the end of the work of the Spirit of God on his heart. On the contrary, it was the first dawning of the light which thenceforth increased more and more, the beginning of his holy affections, his sorrow for sin, his love to God, his rejoicing in Jesus Christ, his longing after holiness. There are many who, after the effect of novelty is over, soon find their situation and feelings very much the same as before their supposed conversion, with respect to any present thirstings for God or ardent outgoings of their souls after divine objects. Now and then, indeed, they have a comfortable reflection on the past and are somewhat affected with the remembrance, and so rest easy, thinking that it is safe, and they doubt not that they shall go to heaven when they die. Far otherwise was it with Brainerd. His experiences, instead of dying away, were evidently of an increasing nature. His first love and other holy affections, even at the beginning, were very great, but after the lapse of months and years became much greater and more remarkable. Number two, his religion apparently and greatly differed from that of many high pretenders to religion who are frequently actuated by vehement emotions of mind and are carried on in a course of sudden and strong impressions and supposedly high illuminations and immediate discoveries, and at the same time, are persons of a virulent zeal, not according to knowledge. If we look through the whole series of his experience, from his conversion to his death, we shall find none of this kind. No imaginary sight of Christ hanging on the cross with his blood streaming from his wounds, or with a countenance smiling on him, or arms open to embrace him, no sight of the book of life opened with his name written in it, 
no hearing God or Christ speaking to him, nor any sudden suggestions of words or sentences, either of scripture or any other, as then immediately spoken or sent to him. No new revelations, no sudden strong suggestions of secret facts. Nor do I find any one instance in all the records which he has left of his own life from beginning to end, of joy excited from a supposed immediate witness of the Spirit or inward immediate suggestion that his state was surely good. But the way in which he was satisfied of his own good estate, even to the entire abolishing of fear, was by feeling within himself the lively actings of a holy temper and heavenly disposition, the vigorous exercises of that divine love which casteth out fear. Number three, Brainerd's religion was not selfish and mercenary. His love to God was primarily and principally for the supreme excellency of his own nature, and not built on a preconceived notion that God loved him, had received him into favor, and had done great things for him or promised great things to him. His joy was joy in God and not in himself. We see by his diary how, from time to time, through the course of his life, his soul was filled with ineffable sweetness and comfort. The affecting considerations and lively ideas of God's infinite glory, his unchangeable blessedness, his sovereignty, and universal dominion, together with the sweet exercises of love to God, giving himself up to him, abasing himself before him, denying himself for him, depending upon him, acting for his glory, diligently serving him, and the pleasing prospects or hopes he had of the future advancement of the kingdom of Christ were the grounds of his strong and abiding consolation. It appears plainly and abundantly all along from his conversion to his death that the sort of good which was the great object of the new relish and appetite given him in conversion and thenceforward maintained and increased in his heart was holiness, conformity to God, living to God, and glorifying him. This was what drew his heart. This was the center of his soul. This was the ocean to which all the streams of his religious affections tended. This was the object which engaged his eager, thirsting desires and earnest pursuits. He knew no true excellency or happiness but this. This was what he longed for most vehemently and constantly on earth, and this was with him the beauty and blessedness of heaven. This made him so much and so often long for that world of glory. It was to be perfectly holy and perfectly exercised in the holy employments of heaven and thus to glorify God 
and enjoy him forever. His religious illuminations, affections, and comfort seemed, to a great degree, to be attended with evangelical humiliation, consisting in a sense of his own utter insufficiency, despicableness, and odiousness, with an answerable disposition and frame of heart. How deeply affected was he almost continually with his great defects in religion, with his vast distance from that spirituality and holy frame of mind that became him, with his ignorance, pride, deadness, unsteadiness, barrenness. He was not only affected with the remembrance of his former sinfulness before his conversion, but with the sense of his present vileness and pollution. He was not only disposed to think meanly of himself as before God and in comparison of him, but among men and as compared with them. He was apt to think other saints better than himself, yea, to look on himself as the meanest and least of saints, yea, very often as the vilest and worst of mankind. And notwithstanding his great attainments in spiritual knowledge, yet we find there is scarcely anything with a sense of which he is more frequently affected and abased than his ignorance. How eminently did he appear to be of a meek and quiet spirit, resembling the lamb-like, dove-like spirit of Jesus Christ. How full of love, meekness, quietness, forgiveness, and mercy. His love was not merely a fondness and zeal for a party, but an universal benevolence, very often exercised in the most sensible and ardent love to his greatest opposers and enemies. This concludes episode 66 of Jonathan Edwards, The Life of David Brainerd.